on ESPN Plus and ESPN Caribbean alongside longtime U.S. international Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebi Salazar for episode 306 of this show. Herc, how you doing over there on the West Coast? I am doing beautifully over here. It's warm over here. How's it where you are? Uh, it is cold. Temperatures <laughs> in the 20s. Thank you for rubbing it in uh, what the temps are like here. Uh, in the nation's capital. We got a lot to get to here on this edition of Football Americas. We are just moments away from being joined by our good friend and colleague, Shaka Hizop. We're going to talk about all things CONCACAF in the Champions League. Uh, and speaking of guests, Herc, on this show, a former guest of this show, Jesse Marsh, had some very interesting comments about the U.S. men's national team. We're going to get Shaka's thoughts uh, on that as well in just a minute. Plus, plenty more here on episode 306 of Football Americas. A reminder, if you can't watch us, you can always listen, download the podcast. But let's start, Herc, shall we? With a little look at CONCACAF abroad, and no team better embodies CONCACAF abroad than PSV and what they've been able to do in the Champions League. The stars of the midweek, if you will, after their come from behind, 3-2 win over Sevilla. It wasn't all good news, though. Chucky Lozano, Herc, the Mexican international, got the start, but he was subbed off injured in the 44th minute. Yeah, even if he is healthy enough, he got a yellow card in this game, so he's going to miss the last fixture versus Arsenal. Listen, both teams are already on to the knockout round, so I don't think it'll matter too much. Hopefully he's fit. Also in the starting 11 for PSV, Serginho Dest. He had the assist on Ismail Saibari's goal to make it 2-1 in the 68th minute. Uh, golazo, great assist. This is the response you wanted out of Serginho Dest from a very difficult personal FIFA fixture window against Trinidad where he gets himself a double yellow and red carded. Great response. First Champions League assist this season for Dest in his fifth Champions League start so far for PSV. Herc, as we know, it is not always about who starts. It's about who finishes. Ricardo Pepe did just that, coming in in the 82nd minute and scoring the game winner in stoppage time. Yep, who finishes, and who finishes it really well? That's Ricardo Pepe. Listen, 82nd minute comes on, 10 minutes later, the eventual game winner. The whole buildup was Ricardo Pepe. The finish was Ricardo Pepe. PSV clinching a spot in the knockout rounds of the Champions League for the first time since 2016. And what a moment for us. For this first time, I believe, in the history of Football Americas, we are privileged to welcome to the show our good friend and colleague. And for an amazing two weeks in Doha last year, my personal roommate, Shaka Hislop. Shaka, how you doing? Have you recovered from said experience? Uh, no, it'll take a lot more than what? A year for, for me to recover from that. So I'll join you remotely, Sebi. How is that? Sounds good. Perfect, perfect. Uh, distance makes the heart grow fonder, although we should tell people, Shock and I will be on the desk uh, for the next couple editions mm -hmm. of ESPN FC, Friday and Saturday. All right, Shaka, so just a, a massive moment there for Ricardo Pepe. We know he's a guy who's battling for minutes, whether it's with club, whether it's with country. What can a goal like that do to this young man's career? Listen, a, a winner in, in any game, let alone in Champions League and that kind of stage, I think it's great for confidence. It's, it's great to get the fans in, in supporting you, to, 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 to garner belief of, of your manager. Um, the issue for me with Ricardo Pepe um, is that so, so often, and you mentioned it, for both club and country, he seems to have the biggest impact coming off of the bench. Now, Everybody starts on the bench at some point and you work your way into, into starting 11s. So maybe this goal, again, kind of leans into that, gives them a better opportunity or at the very least longer opportunities on, on, on the park for him to really show what, what he can do with, with longer spells. Um, so it's a step in the right direction, but he needs to be doing this more consistently. He needs to be doing this when he's spending more minutes on the park to really kind of... Garner that belief of, of everybody at the club, at, at PSV, that, that he deserves the starting position. Herc, from a U.S. perspective, you know this is going to open up the Pepe v. Balogun debate. Uh, if we look just at the numbers, right, a, a debate that you have been harping on for quite some time, I'll give you your flowers here. Uh, Pepe has five goals this season. Balogun has four. But what's really interesting Don't is the it. minutes. Don't say it. Is the minutes. Pepe has those five goals in 238 minutes. Balogun has his four uh, in 600 minutes. Herc, if the U.S. had a must-win game tomorrow, who are you going with, Pepe or Balogun? 
that would depend on who you're playing against because different strokes, right? And what I mean by that is Faller and Balogun's biggest strengths are his movements, is how he can get in behind defenses. Well, Shaka, you know this region very well, and you know certain oppositions very well. Those faces or spaces won't be afforded to you, so maybe a, a player like Ricardo Pepe has a much more refined skill set for a Greg Berhalter system. Here's the problem, and, and Shaka, you touched upon it. It's his production off the bench, and I've been in that position when you are good coming off the bench, you get typecast as a mm. super sub. That's not where Ricardo Pepe wants to be. He doesn't want to be there with Peter Bosch. He doesn't want to be there with Greg Berhalter. PSV, U.S. Men's National Team, it's the same thing. Behind Luke De Jong. That's Peter Bosch has said his only misfortune, the only thing he's done bad is he's behind Luke De Jong, who's our team captain. And right now, uh, double-digit goals, uh, six assists, one of the MVP candidates in the Eredivisie. He's 34 years old. You're not moving him at the moment. And with the U.S. men's national team, you seem to be working coming off the bench. I absolutely hate this for Ricardo Pepe, but it is what it is. And the only way you can keep getting those opportunities is with these good performances. I don't care if it's off the bench starting 90 minutes. You get a performance like that in a Champions League game, it's going to do wonders not only for your confidence, but for your career. Let's get him some starts. Please, can we get him some starts? I mean, <laughs> Peter Bosch loves Luke de Jong. I get it. I get it. He's productive. He's an MVP. He's a club legend. But Pepe has started zero games in the Eredivisie. He started zero games in Champions League. At some point, he's got to get minutes. You would assume a big goal like this would go a long way uh, towards that. Shaka, what about PSV as a whole? This is kind of CONCACAF light over there in the Champions League. What does it say about maybe football in this region that a team that's leading very heavily on CONCACAF players has advanced here to the knockout stages of the Champions League and how much credit does North America get for PSV's success? Listen, I think PSV and, and CONCACAF, by, by extension, have, have a lot to be proud of. PSV have been, have been doing wonderfully well, both, both domestically and in Europe, and, and, and it shows. Um, it's, it's good to see players like Serginio Dest and, and Herc touched on it after... after and indifference and being as polite as I, as I possibly can international international window to, to, to have the impact that he continues to. And, and I think it's important, and, and you touch on it, because while we're talking about U.S. and Mexican internationals, um, I, I think the, the knock-on effect for the rest of CONCACAF in terms of just providing eyeballs for, for, for the region and opportunities for, for, for CONCACAF players um, goes beyond just, just, just those big two or big three if you want to include, include Canada. So I, I, everybody has my support because I, I, I think it, it, it bodes well for, for the region, for the level of, of football that we're playing here and for how prepared players are in moving from one of, one of the CONCACAF regions, one of the domestic leagues here to, to, to Europe, even if it's one of the smaller European leagues. They're not just contributing. That's the thing. They're actually heavy hitters. You look at Serginho Des, he's one of the best outside backs today in the Eredivisie. Malik Tillman comes from Rangers, and this kid's going to hit double-digit goals and maybe assist this season uh, for in a part-time role sometimes. Chucky Lozano looks like he's back to his old self on the club level. Ricardo Pepe gets minutes, and he's scoring goals. And here's the thing we didn't mention. Ernie Stewart, the sporting mm -hmm. director. What a genius move this looks like for Ernie Stewart. Jumps ship from U.S. soccer. And everybody's like, why would you do that? Goes to PSV, and they're perfect in the Netherlands. They're perfect in Eredivisie, and they're one of the uh, teams uh, outside of the top five to make it to the next round. It looks like a genius move, and he's orchestrating it all with CONCACAF. Yeah, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the Pepe goal still and kind of the, the laundry list of big American goals in the Champions League. Outside of maybe the Tyler Adams quarterfinal goal against Atleti, uh, which was a game winner, and the Pulisic goal against Real Madrid. It's hard to think of another one. Pifak had one. Didn't he have a late Manchester game winner United. against Man United yeah. when he was with Young Boys? That felt pretty big. But for, for what this means for PSV, again, first time since 2016 going through to the knockout rounds, uh, it's major for Pepe and major for PSV. Real quickly, Shaka, your Champions League guy, can PSV make some noise here, or is it round of 16 and done? Uh, listen, I, I think they're playing with house money, and that's, that's always a good place to be when nobody really expects an awful lot of you. So you, you're in a hiding to, to absolutely nothing. If I'm putting some of, some of my, my mortgage on, on PSV to go deep in the competition, um, I, my, my wife will be happy to hear me say, no, I, I won't. And, and, and listen, you get a tough group. You finish second in that group, even though no, nobody, I'm not sure what people expect going into it. And then all of a sudden, the seeded draw in the next round, it comes down to, to, to who you pick. As a second seed, um, again, it's, it's going to be more difficult than, than, than not. But again, you're playing with house money, and uh, every, every boxer has a puncher's chance in, 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 in any game.
Yeah, they didn't seem to have a puncher's chance in the first game against Arsenal. I think nobody's picking Arsenal to win the Champions League, so that kind of tells you everything you need to know. Her quick thought win, on... We're not discussing whether they could win it, surely. No, <laughs> but, but if, you're, if you're a second seed, like you say, you're going to play a team mm-hmm. that's essentially better than Arsenal. True, yeah, yeah. There we go. Uh, Herc, real quick, thought on Chucky Lozano and the injury. How big a worry is this? Well, it's a worry because you finally got him going. You got him going at the club level. He seems to be somewhat going at the, you know, international level with the Mexican national team. Last year with Napoli, and that was the Italian champions, Napoli, he was a player that started a lot of games. You would say a vast majority. He started more than he did not. But three goals, three assists. It wasn't the Chucky Lozano of old that we're used to. The last time he really made waves in Europe, I mean, big-time waves, was probably at PSV where he had two seasons where he had 17 goals apiece. He seems like he's becoming that player again. A lot of that may be the level, but it's also his confidence. We're finally getting him back, so an injury is just worst-case scenario for him right now. Yeah, absolutely. Never never like a hamstring injury, although I will say, uh, after the game, he looked to be in pretty good spirits. Obviously, the team is going through, but he didn't seem like a guy who knew he would be uh, missing too much time coming up. All right, so let's move on from Chucky Lozano and PSV. That game was on Wednesday to a game that went down on Tuesday in the Group of Death. That's right. Group F, AC Milan and Borussia Dortmund. Christian Pulisic getting the start for Milan. Played all 90 minutes, but it wasn't good news from there as Milan fell 3-1 at home against Dortmund, a defeat that leaves them last place in the so-called group of death. No Yunus Musa in this game either, by the way, for Milan. He was suspended thanks to yellow card accumulation. Though he did turn 21 yesterday, so happy birthday. Uh, to Yunus Musa. All right, Herc, uh, big story yesterday out of this game for Christian Pulisic is that we saw him on the left wing in the absence of Rafael Leao. How do you think he did? I thought he was decent. It's very difficult for an offensive player to be dangerous or offensive when you're chasing the game. Listen, early on they had a penalty kick opportunity and Giroud misses the penalty kick. And then they end up going down to their own penalty kick. They're behind the eight ball. And when you think they're coming back, a Chiquesa goal that gets a deflection going in, again, Uh, Silly mistakes, and you're behind the eight ball again. And as an offensive player, that makes it increasingly difficult. That said, I thought he was dangerous. I thought he was active. Chukwese had a a goal, and he caused a PK uh, with this shot that that was off the handball um, for a Dortmund player early on. And I still thought that Christian Pulisic had a better outing than Chukwese. It's just any time you can't defend properly and you're giving up those defensive errors, then goalkeeping mistakes, as an offensive player, it really puts you in a difficult position to try to be effective because Dortmund was just trying to pick you apart. They're sitting in and picking you apart right after that. I thought he was decent. I thought he was active, but it's very difficult. He should have had a couple assists, if I'm being honest, but that's not on Christian Pulisic. I, if I was rating a performance A to, to F, I'd give him a B. Okay. The common thought, I think, with Pulisic, Herc, is that his best position is left wing, but because Rafael Leal plays that, you're not going to really get too many minutes there with Milan. We've seen him at right wing. I think I would like to see him more in that 10 in the 4-2-3-1. I love Christian Pulisic centrally, especially when I've seen him there with the national team. Early days with the national team, they just drop him in the middle, let him do what he wanted, uh, and he was a real special player. Shaka, what do you think so far of Pulisic, not just the game yesterday against Dortmund, but generally his start to life at Milan? I, I think he's been really good, in, in all honesty. And I questioned, I questioned whether Pulisic and Milan was, was the right fit. I, I, I I didn't see it working out as, as well as, as it certainly has. And I, I think he's been, he's been outstanding. And, and uh, I think Herc is right. And while Chukwese maybe would have gotten man the match for, for, for AC Milan, I, I thought Pulisic probably had a lot more to, to, to be proud of. I, I, and, and again, doubling down on what Herc said, it is a difficult ask for, for Milan in, in that circumstance. Decimated by injuries, no centre-backs, you know you're fragile, you know you're fragile defensively, so you, there's a, a lot that's to be asked of, of your attacking players. One of those attacking players is Olivier Giroud, which means everybody else around him is, is going to have to, to provide the legs for him. And I thought Pulisic did that better than anybody else in the park. Mm. The wind came out of, of the Milan sales once Giroud missed that early penalty, and then Dortmund go down the other end just about uh, a couple of minutes later, get a penalty of their own, and all of a sudden now, now you're chasing the game when you when you don't have um, your starting your, your your starting back four. That's that's a, a really difficult ask and a, a difficult ask for for your wingers. 
who you're already asking to do the running for, for your centre forward. So, I, listen, I, I thought Pulisic did really well in, in, in given the circumstances around Milan. It was just a poor team performance, but of everybody on the park, probably the two who can, who can be proudest of, of, their, of their performances are the two wingers, Chukwezi and Christian Pulisic. You know, Seb, can I, can I just add what's very difficult for Christian Pulisic, who's going to most likely be playing on the right-hand side, I think he's had a better season than Chukwese, uh, is that Rafael's the guy who's going to be on the left, so you're on the right. It's who behind, who's behind you. You've got the team captain, Calabria, behind you, who's one-way traffic. He's a traffic cone at times, and that puts a lot of pressure on whoever's in front of him. I'm being very honest. It puts a lot of pressure on whoever's in front of him because you can't take the certain risk that you normally would take if you have a guarantee behind you. That's a different type of pressure for Christian Pulisic. Uh, Shaka, Milan right now are last in the group. They got uh, your former team, one of your former teams, Newcastle, in the group phase finale. You giving AC Milan any shot to get to the, to the knockout rounds? No, I don't. Oh. Not, at St. not at St. James's Park. Listen, I, I, at St. James, Newcastle, still, Newcastle have to win this game. And, and I think progress for Newcastle is, is still a, a huge possibility. Dortmund right now top the group. But if, if PSG go to Dortmund and win... Dortmund will finish second. Um, so there, there's, there is a reason for Dortmund to, to get something out of this game. And draw sees Dortmund, uh, Dortmund top, top the group. That's the, the least that, that they are hoping for. If PSG draw, Newcastle win, um, Newcastle go through. Be, because Newcastle also have the head-to-head on, on PSG. Um, so kind of given AC Milan's issues um, defensively with the injury problems that I don't expect will solve themselves by, by, by the next match day, uh, given everything that's uh, at stake for, for Newcastle, given what I know St. James's Park can be like on, on these big nights, I, I nod, I, I, I'm, I'm picking Newcastle to, to pick up the three points. And then I'm looking over in Dortmund to see if they can do my old team a, a, a favor. And Shaka, we know if Newcastle get those three points, AC Milan, not only forget the Champions League, yeah. forget Europa League uh, as well. What a blow that would be. All right, I didn't a, want to a, do a this next that, segment. Uh, sorry, a team that got to the semifinal last year. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that has to be rather that, that's That's been their Champions League kind of life, if you will. I mean, the opening game against uh, Newcastle at home in the San Siro, they should have won that game 4-0. Yeah. Yeah. It, it wasted squandered opportunities, and here you are, ma- last match day, hoping for a prayer. All right, speaking of squandered opportunities, I squandered my opportunity to wipe this segment out of the rundown earlier. Producer Beto made oh, us no. put it in. Santiago Jimenez and Feyenoord facing Atletico Madrid Tuesday. Uh, it did not go well for the Dutch champions or Santi as they fell 3-1 to against Atleti with two own goals. The last of which was indeed from Santiago Jimenez right there, Herc. Go! Yeah, and Atleti's a rumored landing spot for him, too, so you were hoping he'd get in the score sheet, but not like this, Seb. Not like this. Feyenoord eliminated from Champions League contention. They are headed to the Europa League. All right, Shaka, there's a lot of hype right now around Santiago Jimenez. Do you think he's overhyped or do you think he's worthy? Is he the type of player that we're going to see in a few years banging home goals in the Premier League or at the top of La Liga? I think absolutely worthy. What, 22 years old? Kind of give him, give him his, his record. I, I, I think he, he's a player that a lot of, as you mentioned, a lot of clubs are already keeping an eye on. And, and I think rightly so. Listen, goal scorers are not cheap. They don't come, they don't come along that, that often when you have a young player with this kind of a record. And, and listen, I, I think the challenge has always been, given the openness of the Eredivisie, how do strikers move from, from, from the Netherlands to elsewhere in Europe where they don't have that kind of space to, to, to operate in? And, and like anything else, it's a little bit of a gamble. But you, you, your numbers speak for themselves. Uh, Jimenez has got good numbers. I, I think there'll be a queue of, of, of clubs who, who will want his signature. All right. Uh, hype by who? If we're talking about North America, it's because you, coming out of Mexico with the strikers they've had historically, you think these numbers, you're thinking Hugo Sanchez, you're thinking uh, Manchester United with Chicharito Hernandez, maybe to an extent there. But Shaka's right. Look at the numbers. If his name was Santino and he was Brazilian, <laughs> it'd be a $100 million player already. How much did Anthony go to Manchester United for? What were his numbers when he was in the Eredivisie? It's a reality today, Seb. I think he's hyped adequately enough for the rest of the world. In mm. our bubble, mm. and you know how this goes, they uh. love to prop him up. 
But as soon as they prop him up, they're looking for reasons to shoot him down. So hyped adequately enough outside of the rest of the world. Shaka, quickly, is the next move to like a big six team in England or Real Madrid or Barcelona, or is he at the level where he needs an intermediate stop between that? I think an intermediate stop. I think that that next step from from uh, from the Eredivisie to, to a big to a big club to one of the big European giants is, is a difficult one, and I, I think he's got time on his side. I still think he's a little bit raw. He has a little bit of, of growing to do yet. Um, I, I I don't think it'd be a waste to, to go to a smaller a, a smaller European club, one that can also give him a, a platform. The first that comes to mind is, is some place like Spurs, who need a striker. Human Son has been doing a great job, but he's not an out-and-out striker. Um, so I, I stop like that, and you put up numbers mm. at, at a place uh, with that kind of a platform, with that kind of a spotlight on you, then um, the, the, the 100 million, which which isn't a fair price for Anthony, by the way, the 100 million is, is, is a... Is a, a, a Snippet, an easy decision for any, for any of those big clubs. Shots fired by, by Shaka right now. You, you calling Spurs a small club? That, that, Intermediary that's stop. <laughs> that's what I... It, it, it does, I know, I don't, you don't need an answer. You don't need smaller an answer. than Real Madrid. Smaller than Real <laughs> okay. Madrid. And really quickly, I'm just curious from Shaka. Would you take, would you take Santi Jimenez or Jonathan David today? They're, rough, they're around the same age. Mm. Um, I'd probably take Jimenez. Look at that. Shaka Hislop, decisive. Santi Jimenez to Spurs. You heard it here first on Football Americas from our good friend Shaka Hislop. All right, before we move on, let's take a look at uh, some more CONCACAF participation in the Champions League. Uh, Malik Tillman is aforementioned, got 32 minutes off the bench in PSV's victory. Alfonso Davies and Cameron Carter-Victors also go in the full 90 for their respective squads. And we've got an absolutely massive game coming your way Sunday here on ESPN Plus. Number one versus number two in the air Eredivisie. Feyenoord versus PSV. Santi versus Pepe. Don't miss it. Former Football Americas guest Jesse Marsh was on CBS as part of their Champions League coverage. Had this to say about the U.S. men's national team. Quote, we've talked a lot about this golden generation, them being so talented. Well, they don't have a signature win yet. They don't have a win against a big opponent where you can look at it and go, yeah, that was an incredible performance. And that shows that this team is ready for the biggest game. Shots fired, no doubt about that. But are the shots fired at the U.S. players or at the coach Greg Berhalter? Shaka Hislop, what do you make of Jesse Marsh's comments there? I, I think he's absolutely right. All right listen, on, on the one hand, I sympathize. Jesse Marsh... Given, given his, his record and reputation as a manager, given that he's continually linked with, with the, the U.S. men's national team job, anything he says will be kind of picked apart little by little. It will be viewed under a microscope. But all he can do is, is give an honest opinion, his honest opinion. And I, I think he's absolutely right in, in what he's seeing. There's a lot about this, this U.S. national team that I think... Um, has just kind of fallen flat at, at times. And, and maybe that's because of the Nations League and they aren't playing some of those big internationals, every single international window that, that they once did. But then, you know, a Gold Cup aside, you, you look at a team that failed to qualify for the World Cup in 2018, that had one win, 1-0 one against Iran in, in, in 2022. And you're, you're looking for what is the... What is this team's big kind of signature announcement given some of the talent that we've discussed just here alone? So, Seb, you actually, World Cup qualifying last year, were the first one. You were the actual first person to say, what's his marquee win? It was actually before the Nations League, I believe, the first Nations League final they won in Denver. They beat Mexico. There's a signature win, right? Well, now I'm asking, is that what Greg Berhalter is going to hang his hat on? Beating the worst generation of Mexican players that I've seen in my lifetime, that, those are his accolades. That's what he's going to hang his hat on. We've said it so many times here in Football Americas. He doesn't have a signature win. He doesn't have those marquee wins. Now Jesse Marsh is just saying what we've been saying all along. And, and it's not shots fired. And it's not shots fired, especially at the pool of players. He's talking about Greg Berhalter. And the reason it's not shots fired is because now he's a pundit. He's not a coach. He said it so himself. He's not a coach. So if you're a pundit, be all in. He's 
just doing his job. He's just saying what everybody else is, is thinking and seeing. A, a, a win against Iran in the World Cup, that's not even what they hang their hat on. When American fans want to hang their hat on something at the World Cup, it's a draw. It's a 0-0 draw against England. That's Greg Berhalter's legacy thus far. Mm. All right, Chaka, real quick, we don't have too much more time here, but you did get a, a couple good looks at the U.S. when they were playing your beloved Trinidad and Tobago in the CONCACAF Nations League quarterfinals first and second leg. Obviously, there was a red card in the first leg, affects Trinidad and Tobago. A red card in the second leg affects the United States. But what's your, your big takeaway from watching the American team that we saw without Christian Pulisic uh, and without Timothy Way as well? I have to say I was a little bit disappointed in, in, in the U.S. And, and, and their performance. And, and while, yes, Trinidad and Tobago were down to, to 10 men in roughly, what, the 35th minute, 37, some, something of the sort. Um, and and well, to start, even, even before the red card, Trinidad and Tobago quite clearly were, were playing for a draw. I, I thought, one, um, I, the U.S. lacked a, a lot of ideas in, in trying to break down a deep-lying defense. When, when players did get, get opportunities, I, I thought they were, they were wasteful in, in, in front of goal. And, and that, for me, was a, a huge concern. Um, in, in the second leg, yeah, a total meltdown um, by, by Serginio Dest. And then the U.S. team just never seemed to, to get their act together. And, and uh, Matt Turner, I, 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 a goalkeeper I've defended, a goalkeeper I continue to raise, um, didn't cover himself in too much glory in that one either. But then nobody really did. Let, let's be honest, though. A complete Trinidad and Tobago team in that return leg probably scores more goals. Levi mm. Garcia is on the field, and that's more one-way traffic against the U.S. men's national team. Would have made it very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. There you have it. All right. Well, uh, excellent to have Shaka Hislop, Trinidad and Tobago footballing legend, with us here on Football America. Somehow you made it 306 episodes, Shaka, before your first appearance <laughs> on this show, but you better sure know we're bringing before. you back soon. He was, he's I'm been here sure before. was here before. We spoke about oh, Keylor Navas before. What are you talking about? Maybe I, maybe I was on vacation, one of my many vacations. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean, Shaka? I'm see? a big vacation guy. I'm the big vacation guy. There he is, uh, Shaka Hislop. You can watch him five days a week over on ESPN FC, and both he and I will be on the desk in Bristol, Connecticut on both Friday and Saturday for the coming editions of ESPN FC, so make sure to join us there. Shaka Hislop, absolutely one of the good guys at ESPN. And do you know what good guys do? Good guys donate to the V Foundation. That's right, Herc. We are in the midst of our 17th annual V Week for Cancer Research. So far, ESPN, through the V Foundation, has raised around $200 million in the fight against cancer. We hope you'll join us this week. Major League Soccer news, Herc. Change could be coming. MLS looking to be the first major pro soccer league, outdoor pro soccer league, we should say, to introduce sin bins. This according to The Athletic. Uh, this would be where a player who's cautioned would have to leave the field for a certain amount of time. IFAB, the International Football Association Board, has approved trials uh, of these laws at a meeting earlier this week in London. So it's on the book somewhere. Are you cool with it? MLS is a guinea pig. I absolutely hate it. I'm not cool with it. First off, let me let me just say the idea of this sin bin. I love that. I, I, I listen. So you don't absolutely let me hate tell, it. I do. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Okay. The question was raised. This is getting out of hand. I, I hate the fact that that world football now. There's a, a call whether you think it's right or wrong. They crowd the ref. It's a bad look. What are you trying to do? Bully the ref into changing his mind? It's just a bad look. So, so this whole sin bin thing, if it alleviates that, cool, I'm for it. I hate the fact that it's Major League Soccer that's going to be the guinea pig. Hmm. And, and call me sensitive, if you will, but I absolutely hate this. It, give, give those European snobs or the rest of the world even yes. more reason to say stupid Americans trying to change the game, not knowing any better. Give them more of a reason to try to shove that down your throat. I hate this. Like, yeah. I, I've seen pilot programs be done in the Eredivisie, you know, when it came to, to the VAR and all that. That's cool. I love that. I, I love that other countries are innovative. But having Major League Soccer be the guinea pig, it, it just brings back bad memories of what 
the US market tried to do with the game and the way people spoke about the game. Do you um, feel like this countries. is like 35 yard shootouts all over yeah, again? I do. I, that's, that's honestly what I, I, in an extent, yes. That was way and, more, that was way more Americana than this. This fine. seems to me but to try to address better, something Sam. in the game. People or, don't know any better. Listen, this whole thing, and it could be very cool for the game, These because essentially it's going to be a power play. A player comes out, you're yeah. playing a man down, it's like a power play like in hockey. More offense, baby. Right, right. But you're already equating it to hockey, right? I'm already equating it to mm. other American sports, and that to me, if I'm doing it and I'm Ameri- an American, the rest of the world's going to do it too, and I'd, I'd just rather not go down that route. So the point you made about dissent is very interesting because there have been trials of this uh, in the FA and kind of the grassroots level, and they say that dissent cautions dropped by about 40% when the sin bin was introduced. So that's basically when you get everybody kind of crowding the ref, which is what you're talking about you want to avoid. This cuts down on that. Maybe there's other ways to cut down on that, but that's the thing that seems to annoy everybody who watches the modern game. The place for this, Herc, the obvious place for this is not Major League Soccer, because I agree with you. If MLS tries this, even if the idea is coming out of London, the rest of the world is going to mock Major League Soccer. There you go. The place for this is MLS Next Pro. Nobody's watching. Nobody cares. There's no promotion relegation. It's the perfect opportunity there. And then... If this does come down the line, MLS will be well prepared. Because I will give MLS credit here. They were among the first to adapt with VAR. And I think if you look at some of the issues that England is having with VAR and other places around the world, MLS is better with their VAR than, than, than the best leagues in the world. And that's down to starting first, towards taking a risk. And this would be going along those lines. Maybe this is, this is one step too far. But this is what MLS did with VAR, and so far it's worked out for them better than it has for others. Listen, the game's got to change. It's got to be sped up. There's too much time with no live action. Uh, the descent towards referees, the, the total treatment of referees, which we're going to talk about in a second, mm-hmm. offsides, VAR. There's certain elements of this game that need to be adapted in today's time to make it better, make it more enjoyable for everybody, including the players. Treatment of referees, Hercules Gomez. So funny that you should mention that ahead of our next story. Here's more MLS news. This is more on the field. What's happening as we speak? FC Cincinnati's Matt Miazga has been suspended three games for misconduct after allegedly confronting officials in their locker room following FC Cincinnati's playoff game against the New York Red Bulls. A game, of course, in which Matt Miazga picked up multiple yellow cards, uh, including one during the penalty shootout, all of which, of course, means the MLS Defender of the Year is out for the rest of the season with his team in the Eastern Conference Finals this weekend. Here's what uh, MLSPA had to say about it, and they are coming down hard on Miazga's side. Quote, the MLS Players Association condemns the behavior of the Professional Soccer Referees Association and certain PSRA members with regard to the November 4th incident at Red Bull Arena involving FC Cincinnati player Matt Miazga. Both the match report approved by the officials and the statements released by the PSRA regarding the incident contained material falsehoods. Since then, the PSRA has not only failed to correct these falsehoods, its president has continued to repeat them publicly. Herc, this has borderline red written all over it. But who are we giving that red to? Should we give it again to Matt Miazga? <laughs> well, I, technically he didn't get a red card, right? Because he can't get a red for the yellow well, he in got the three shootout. Games. He got three he games. He got three games. What, what else do you want? Listen. And at what a time. And at what a time. If this was Joe Schmo, it happened to, maybe he gets the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you're like, well, maybe there is evidence that the MLSPA has not presented that they should present. But maybe there is evidence out there that they are talking about. Maybe it really does exist. But this is Matt Miazga, who's had multiple run-ins with, if you will say, suspensions and and just other unsavory types of deals. Extracurricular. Extracurricular footballing activity. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. Let me ask you a question, okay? What do you think would happen if we were in a game, you're my teammate, okay? And we have beef with another player on another team, the opposition. And then after the game, said opposition, somehow made their way uninvited into our locker room. What do you think is going to go down? Oh, we throw in hands. Oh, I'm getting something's beat up. going down, right? <laughs> I'm getting what beat up, good, but we're throwing hands, yeah. What good, how <laughs> dense do you have to be that you think any good would come of this? You went into the locker room of an official. I don't care how cordial the exchange was because Pat Noonan wants us to believe it was blown out of proportion. He went in that, there with a gift basket. with a, Exactly, <laughs> and that this is exaggerated, over-exaggerated, and that it shouldn't be this many games. 
I don't know how dense you have to be to think yeah. that something good would come of this. I actually like Matt Miazga. I think yeah, he's a hell yeah. of a defender. I think yeah. he's a really good defender, and he's a guy who could be coming back to the, to the U.S. men's uh, national team soon with his play. He's merited that with his play. It's the extra footballing activities that have gotten in the way of him progressing. It's that. It's not his play. It's not his talent. It's his personality and attitude in certain situations. Um, but I think he's a hell of a player. This ain't it, though. Yeah. I, I want to be sympathetic because I actually think if you go back to the moment where he gets the second yellow in the shootout, it's not what it looks to be. I think he gets the second yellow because it looks like he's taunting the New York Red Bulls fans. If you know Matt Miazga's history, you know that that's the club where he started and there's a different connection there. I think he should have known as a veteran player in that moment on a yellow card that you can't be messing around in the penalty shootout. Whether you're trying to be clever and show some love, it's not the moment. And so that's the first mistake, Kirk. And then the second mistake is going into the referee's locker room or approaching it or whatever he did. So he had Two chances here, again, as a veteran player in the playoffs, not to make a mistake and then not to make that mistake worse. And he gets three games. And, Herc, what a huge three games. I mean, this for FC Cincinnati. To lose your defender of the year uh, at this time of the year is just incredible. So I, I got to side with MLS here. I think after what we just talked about with referees, if you don't send a message – and that's really what this is about, right? You cannot let guys go into locker rooms after they're mad and whether, whether it was exaggerated or not what happened. You can't let guys go into referee locker rooms and really let them hurt, get off with anything less than three. This is basic. This is, to me, the minimum the league could do. The minimum. Absolutely. And what, do you, what did you expect them to do? This is what I understand. Anybody who's upset at this, what did you expect to happen? A slap on the wrist? The worst part is... It's Matt Miazga letting his team down. They're in the mm. Eastern Conference Final. Forget the three games. It could be ten games. That doesn't matter right now. It's you're going to miss the Eastern Conference Final. You're going to miss MLS Cup. That's what matters here. You let your team down. All right, so speaking of the Eastern Conference Final, of course, the uh, Columbus crew taking on FC Cincinnati in the Hell is Real Derby. Some people are like, why do they call it Hell is Real? Well, there's a, a billboard on Interstate 71 that connects the two cities and runs through Ohio that says hell is real. So that's your explanation for why they call it hell is real derby between FC Cincinnati and Columbus crew. Now, Herc, I want people to know I've done my research on hell is real, right? When these two teams play, there are usually goals. In fact, of the last seven meetings between these two, six have gone over two and a half goals total. But this, Herc, this is the playoffs and it's these playoffs, I've been riding unders in these playoffs. If you look at the conference semifinals, all four games under two and a half goals. So I'm going under here, and I'm taking the Columbus crew. So Columbus crew to advance, not to win, to advance, and under three and a half total goals. You smash that together in a parlay, it's plus 216, no Matt Miazga. If you take out Columbus's 4-2 loss against Atlanta, which is not insignificant, but it's a playoff game, away, other teams desperate. Outside of that, they have not lost since mid-September. Plus, I think he did it on this very show, but he definitely did it on Twitter. Hercules Gomez told me that the Columbus crew are going to be the best team out of the Eastern Conference. They beat the team I thought it was going to be, Orlando. So it's got to be Columbus crew. Herc, what do you think about my pick? It's a, it, I like the double chance you put in there because it's to advance, not to win. So that means yes. they could have to. They, you try to take it a penalty kicks and advance that way. You got a double chance there. I love that. Playoff games are under. I agree with you. The, these it's type be of games are stingy. Cold. It's gonna be freezing cold. There's just so much attacking talent on the I field, know. Seb. That's I know. the only thing. There's some real prime talent on both sides. Mm -hmm. Lucho Acosta, Brandon Vasquez uh, on one side, the other side. You, you can just go Cucho Hernandez, Diego Rossi, who's not heated up uh, as we normally see. Diego Rossi, he could still explode. Like, there's a lot of attacking talent. And Pat Noon and Wilfred Nancy, like, these are two coaches that let their teams play, but I agree with you. The attacking talent is not going to win these type of matchups. It's the, the defensive stability here. So that's not a bad one. That's not a bad shout. I like it. All right, that's my pick in the Eastern Conference. Columbus to advance and under three and a half total goals for a play payout of plus 216. Herc, you have been assigned the Western Conference. 
Who you got? All right. Uh, it's uh, LAFC versus Houston, so I'm going to ride with the home team. LAFC to win, both teams to score. This one is fairly easy yet difficult. Why is it difficult? I will tell you, because Houston actually beats LAFC both games they played this season, Seb. But this is why I'm riding with LAFC. It's a different team than the last team they played. And Denny Bowanga right now is red hot. The last six games played, he's got 10 goals. And if you look at LAFC at home in the MLS Cup playoffs, they've got four straight games with at least three goals scored. At least three goals scored. Now, I think they'll win. What makes me think Houston's going to score? Look at Houston's last 20 games in all their comps. They've only been shut out three times out of the last 20 games. And if you're going to go out, you're going to go out swinging. I fully expect Hector Herrera and Houston to give them a fight. I think there'll be a few goals in this game, but I just wow. think the way Denny Boanga's playing right now and the way Steve Chirondolo has kind of found the balance in the back, uh, it won't be enough. Um, I think LAFC is going to win and go back to Major League, um, excuse me, go back to MLS Cup. Wow, what a story that would be. So Herc in the Western Conference is picking LAFC to win and both teams to score against the Houston Dynamo for a plus 210 payout. And another reminder, in the East, I'm taking Columbus Crew and under three and a half. That's Crew to advance. Not to win in 90, to advance uh, and under three and a half. All right, let's move on from Major League Soccer, shall we, to Liga MX. That was a great ticker, by the way. Liguilla quarterfinals, leg one, Leon America. Leon, the home team in this one, and they got off to a fast start. Second minute of the game, but on the header to make it 1-0. I mean, this is the way you want to start, right? Set piece, nobody on them. I'm going to take this on 1-0, two minutes in. Yes, that is how you want to start if you love Leon. America, however, would strike back a few minutes later. The ageless Miguel Layun. Barry Martin. There it is. Uh, this sure looked offside to me. I don't know where they draw that line, but Miguel Ayun, a surprise start, gets his assist. Henry Martin gets his goal. Just before the half, Leon catching America's defense out. Diente Lopez, how about that for a finish? Ex-campeon de goleo, that's the golden boot. Ex-golden boot winner. Showing you why right there. Very composed, 1v1. Luis Malagón comes out. Diente Lopez with the scoop. The tooth makes it 2-1. to one. Early second half, America threatening. Julian Quinones, no. Henry Martinez. I mean, he's just always at the right place, right time. Look, he's he's waiting. Julian Quinones gets a second bite. Rebound comes to him. It's a double rebound, and he knows exactly where to put it. Two to two. Later on, second half. America going for the win. Alejandro Sendejas shot over the bar. Yeah, Sendejas with the curler. Rolfo Cota says, I got that. No problem. Ten minutes left, Leon with the corner, William Tecillo strike also over. Yeah, this one's on Tecillo's left foot, maybe it's different. He's a center back, comes on his right foot, not happening. So this game ends 2-2, second leg, Saturday at Azteca. Herc over on ESPN Deportes, all they were talking about after this one was the officiating. How bad did the refs screw this up? Did you see Did you see the little graphic that production put up right before? I saw you reacted. I, did, I have to admit I missed it. It says, America gets help from the refs, dot, 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 again. <laughs> and I was hoping you would see it. I was hoping so bad you would see it. It brilliantly played. Because that's the thing right here. Rinse and repeat. You, we do this segment every week. I, I, want mean. You, I want you to read the question. Mm -hmm. Did officiating affect the outcome of the first leg? You said it on Deportes. I've been working all day. It's, did America get hosed by the referee? That's mm -hmm. the narrative there they're trying to drive, right? I think this is a very interesting... That America got hosed, That correct. America is the right. team... Because there was at least two second yellows that weren't given to Leon. Well, at least two. Okay, and we can go through it because I'm of the... I'm of the train of thought that one action leads to another, mm -hmm. that a butterfly flapping its wings on one side of the world oh, can create a hurricane. Philosophical the, the, Hercules. The, the mariposa effect, the butterfly effect. This should have been called offside, Seb. It's not called offside, right? So it's 1-1. One, one. Okay. Mr. Clear and Obvious, when I wants it offside, Listen, but it's not clear and obvious. Gets the ball there. I don't know why I don't know why America fans are crying. Clearly touches the ball. It's not that bad of a challenge. He rolls Endangering more. the he opponent. The Touching the ball has he nothing to do ball. with it. No, no. This is what happens when you 
are León and you need a result, a favorable one, not a draw at home, then you have to get the ball back when you're losing. When it's 1-1, that's a loss right there for you. You've got to get the ball back. And Diente López, Ángel Mena, they're of the idea, the necessity, the urgency that I got to do whatever it takes to get this ball back. So they make reckless challenges. One bad play leads to another. A, a butterfly flapping its wings on one side of the world, it's going to cause uh -huh. a hurricane in the other. It's exactly what happened here. A okay. bad call by the referee on a Henry Martín goal leads these players to play in a conditioned way. It could have been 2-0 León heading into halftime. Then they manage the game in a much more softer way, a much more calculated way. But when they think time is running out, when they think when the game is tied, they have to make a play that can get them a goal to get an advantage. Things like this will happen. I think maybe the second play, Dientes Lopez one, was the one that I would have said, you know what, that one's orange. I could see it going either way. The Angel Mena one, not for me. Herc, what percentage chance you given Leon to pull the upset Saturday night? Um, 51% chance because in this game, they started this game in Leon. Mm -hmm. They started without both their defensive, their central midfielders, without their starting left back. And Angel Mena came out injured in like the 25th minute. Four big players for them, and they still took it to America this way. And also, here's the kicker. I think Jardine got it wrong. I think America's coach, uh, you, you look at the center back duo, uh, Sebastian Cáceres, you, you said it. He's followed by teams like Spurs because of yep. how he plays with Uruguay. But when it comes to Club America, he shouldn't be playing over Ramon Juarez, who, who's a youth player. And then you look at the center midfielder duo of Fidalgo and Jonah Dos Santos. I didn't like them last night. Richard Sanchez has to play. I don't care for who, but he has to be on the field. And then the worst part of all is Diego Valdez hasn't played in two months. And you start him in this game. I thought that was very question from Jardine. I, I, it looked like he still had the rust uh, around his legs, and it could have cost him. He was lucky not to. But Jardine makes me 51% I give to, uh, or, yeah, I'll give the 51% to Leon that they could surprise. Wow, look at you. Look at you. Sometimes I don't know if you're just trying to get a rise out of me or if you really believe it. Tell me I'm you really wrong believe what I just it. told you. Uh, no, I mean... America is not playing their best soccer, and I think that that's the important thing to acknowledge right now. It's not the best that they've looked this season, and that continues to be a trend for this team when they get to Ligia, which is extremely disappointing. But 2-2 uh, away is a much better position to find yourself than one nothing coming back home, and that's the situation for the other game that was played last night between Rayados and San Luis. Of course, uh, that game between uh, Mauricio Pedrosas. I don't know, is his favorite team or is his second favorite team? He loves yeah, America. Yeah, it depends loves. on the day he wakes exactly. up. Exactly. Uh, Atletico San Luis hosting the uh, two seed here. 15th minute, Jurgen Damm uh, with an early shot for San Luis. Six minutes later, San Luis on the attack. And how about this? El Diablito, Ricardo Chavez, golazo. This is a ridiculous goal. I mean, the, the technique is superb. It's ridiculous how much power he generates off that lead foot. Golazo. San Luis up 1-0, still 1-0 in the second half. And uh, San Luis at it again. Leo Bonatini, one-on-one, saved by Andrada. And he is going to want that one back. They could have gotten rid of Monterrey, rid of Rayados in the opening leg. They left them hanging. They left them hanging. A few minutes later, San Luis threatening again. Another stop from Andrada. Flavouche, the Frenchman with the curler. Andrada is just, you know, right place, right time. Very good save. Rayados would finally get things going, 67th minute. Germán Berterame gets in behind, finishes, but offside. Yeah, ex-San Luis player right there, Germán Berterame. The play from Tecatito Corona, what a fall of grace, by the way, for Tecatito Corona, who comes on as a sub. Just a little too late, offside, and Tano Ortiz, look how worried he looks. 15 minutes to go, San Luis looking for a second. Murillo saved Andrada. San Luis wins by a final score of 1-0. Six saves on the night for Andrada. What a uh, performance there for the Rayados goalie to keep them in it. Herc, you picked San Luis to beat Rayados after what you saw uh, last night. Herc, how confident are you that they're going to finish things off over the weekend? Listen to the conversation we're having. I, I just want you to realize the conversation we're having about the richest roster in, in Mexican football. Can they pull a comeback versus Loli San Luis? Look how far they have fallen. This is exactly what I knew would happen. This team, there is no championship DNA about them. When we look at who they are, when we look at the spine of their team, when we look at the players they have, who can you trust? Who's been there? Who's lifted a trophy in Liga MX? 
It's Funes Mori. He's probably the only one. He's the last man standing of a good or great, I should say, gener gener yeah. a great generation. Uh, generation, thank you, that they once had. And it's been a while. He didn't even start this game. He comes in in the first half for Panchito Gonzalez. And here's the kicker, Estan Ortiz. I could sit here until I'm blue in the face of how Pecho Frio Monterrey is, of how they don't feel the Ligias, how they don't have the players, the DNA to play this type of system. But you know who doesn't? It's Tan Ortiz. Again, he froze. It should have been San Luis putting this team away. It should have been San Luis putting Tan Ortiz away out of his misery. It could have been two, if not three, zero in favor. It was yeah. done. They left him hanging. Yes, Monterrey has a very privileged roster. But when the chips are down, they fold. And San Luis doesn't have to win. San Luis is good with the tie and they advance. And that's what I think is going to happen. Really? San Luis to get the draw and advance past Rayados on aggregate. Boy, uh, what a story that would be. Herc, you have been on the Rayados or a bus train for quite some time. So um, I got to give you credit there. There it is. Uh, Liga Emekis. Uh, men playing tonight and last night. The women just wrapped up the Liga MX Femenil Championship on Monday. This was the uh, second leg between Tigres and Club América Femenil. Pick this one up in the uh, 14th minute. How about that? Blistering shot over the bar. Yeah, over the bar. Look at the atmosphere in El Volcán. And, um, so Tigres then uh, get their sixth Liga Mekis Femenil title uh, with a 3-0 aggregate victory over Club America Las Aguilas. Herc, uh, Tigres, big time players in the men's game and even bigger in the women's game. Yeah, you, you, you've got to give them their flowers. Listen, the sixth title out of 12 tries, right? <laughs> I mean, to win it six times. There have been 12 finals in Liga MX Femenil history. There have been a nine of them. Uh, Mari Carmen Reyes, the Golden Boot winner, it was their year, just cementing their greatness when it comes to women's football in Mexico. There you have it. Tigres. Las Amazonas with uh, six titles. America, Rayados, and uh, Chivas with two titles apiece. Let's move back to the European theater. Julian Araujo, of course, uh, plays for Las Palmas on loan from Barcelona, Las Palmas going to take on Getafe tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, right here on ESPN+. Plus. Here's part one of a brief interview with Julian. Julian, thank you very much for, for having us. Uh, tell me about this experience, uh, being here this year at uh, Unión Deportiva Las Palmas. How has it been so far? It's been very well, you know, it's been a challenge for me uh, coming into this league, into a new environment, um, you know, on and off the pitch, everything has been very easy. Uh, this staff, the players, this organization, this, uh, this city is very good to me. Uh, it's been nothing but, but very positive for me. I've been playing uh, a lot of football, a lot of good football. We've been doing well. Uh, I think off the field has also been really easy because of because everything happening on the pitch. Everything happening on the pitch makes us a lot happier off the pitch. So, uh, you know, having having my family here and uh, that comes and visit me often, uh, it, it, it makes it a lot easier. But um, yeah, you know, this is a nice city to be at. An organization that loves football, that that has a lot of history, and, and I'm very happy here. Julian, uh, what were your goals coming to to La Palma? What was your what was the plan? Yeah, my plan was to, you know, obviously my plan every day is just to get better individually as, as much as I can, uh, as a team, as a group, as much as we can. Um, I knew coming in here was going to be difficult because I'm coming from the MLS. I'm coming from a team that um, that hasn't, or I'm coming, I haven't played in Europe. I'm coming to one of the best leagues in the world. Um, and for me, it was just getting better and uh, analyzing myself, trying to, trying to play games, as, get as much game time as I can, improve in whatever I can. Uh, my goal is to, is to obviously go back to, to, to Barcelona. Uh, you know, I, I'm here on loan for one year, but you know, I, I don't think of it as a loan. I'm here and I'm enjoying my time. I'm, I'm very happy here. Um, and yeah, my goal is just to be the best and, and to, to learn to learn this this style of play, to learn the style of uh, of of the European football. Talking about style of playing, uh, 
is very connected with uh, how Barcelona plays. Yes. Is that uh, an advantage for you to come here with a coach that has been uh, working in, in, in the Barcelona base for so long? Yeah, I think that was one of the main factors for me, actually. I think I had a conversation with, uh, I had a conversation with um, Xavi, and it was a conversation where we knew that this coach, uh, Pimienta, was a good coach for me. It was a coach that was going to help develop me. He's developed so many great players around the world, players uh, that came out of La Masia. And for me, I wanted to be a part of that. I knew he was a great coach and a, a, someone that can mentor me and get me to the next level. Um, and obviously, the way that we play is, is, uh, is very, very similar to what, uh, to what Barca plays like. Um, we like to keep possession of the ball. As you can see, a lot of the games, we have a lot of possession of the ball. When we lose the ball, we get the ball really quick. Uh, we're all very determined. We're all, a lot of us are very young. We have a lot of ambition. And yeah, the coach, I think, was one of the main factors in, in, in the style of play, obviously. And coming to such a great team and a great, uh, a, an island, a beautiful island that, that loves the game of football and that cherishes us. Have you been uh, in contact with Barcelona? Uh, they are monitoring your your uh, your performances the way you, uh, you're doing here. Yeah, so I've uh, I had a talk with with Bojan and uh, yeah, they're monitoring me. Uh, we had a conversation. They, he just let me know that they're monitoring me. That they're that they're very happy with my progress. Um, obviously, this is a, this is a very long season. It's just the beginning, so I have to continue the way the way that I am. I have to continue to develop. I have to continue to get better. Uh, I can't focus on anything right now, but just this season and, and bettering myself each and every day and being the best I can. Are you getting the minutes that you were thinking of uh, when you when you come here? Yeah, obviously I knew that um, everything was going to be a challenge. You know, I was getting when I first got here, I, I was playing a lot. Uh, you know, I got injured and then I started to stop playing a little bit, but you know, everything's a process and I'm very happy with the minutes that I've gotten. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great players around me and uh, yeah, everything's a challenge. Every day you have to come in and work hard and you know, nothing is, is, is free and you got to continue to work and keep your head up and uh, keep your feet on the ground. How do you picture uh, the end of the season and coming back to Barcelona? I think, uh, you know, I picture the season with, with Las Palmas, uh, us staying in, in La Liga. I think we, we have a good team to do that. I, have, I think we have a good team to, to, to stay in, in this league, to stay in the first division. Uh, I think that's one of my main goals. One of my main goals is to, to help this team uh, be where, where it's supposed to be. And I think my second goal for, for this year is, you know, is just to, to be my best. Obviously, like I said, I wanted to get back to Barcelona. I think that individually I need to continue to perform. I need to perform at the highest level. I need to, I, I need to stay consistent. I need to play the way I like to play and, and just stay calm, you know, without any pressure. I think I have to, I think that's one of the most important things is just playing without pressure and playing free in my head and, and doing what I love to do. All right, our thanks to our colleague Martin Einstein. We mentioned that's part one of an interview. Part two, Julian dives into some topics with the Mexican national team. So we'll save that for uh, another time. Any thoughts on what we heard there from Julian Araujo with Martin Einstein? No, I agree with Julian. He was a consistent starter before the injury. Injury comes and you lose your place. You've got to bide your time, wait to get back. But in theory, uh, this team does play in theory like Barcelona or tries to emulate what Barcelona does. But it, it's very difficult uh, with a team as toothless as Las Palmas. It puts a lot of defensive pressure. Regardless, valuable experience that he's uh, learning in La Liga. Six starts so far uh, for Las Palmas for the 22-year-old and in a very difficult competition for the right back spot there with Mexico. We got off the bench in the second leg against Honduras, but we saw Jorge Sanchez uh, started both of those games. Kevin Alvarez as well. So Julian Araujo, plenty of competition at the international level, but doing quite well with Las Palmas on loan from Barcelona. Speaking of Barcelona, they'll be playing Atletico Madrid on Sunday. Coverage starts 2.55 p.m. Eastern Time. Don't miss it. Available right here on ESPN Plus as well as over on ESPN Deportes. And Herc, before we get out of here, how about a little history lesson? On this date, way back in 1991, that's right, November 30th, 1991, the U.S. women's national team beat Norway 2-1 in China to win the first ever Women's World Cup. It wasn't even called the Women's World Cup. It was called the FIFA World Championship for Women's Football. Hark, how about that? What history? That's insane. Actually, you know, for a second I thought when I saw this in the rundown, we we're going to talk about the 99ers. 
brought me way back. This was before the 99ers. Wow. That's right. That's right. They were the uh, core of the 99 team very much, but uh, quite a few different players. Michelle Akers, who's actually more of a defensive midfielder on the 99 team, was the big goal scorer on the yep. 91 team. And, of course, she had the brace uh, in the final to beat Norway and give the U.S. the first uh, of the four stars that they now proudly wear above the crest on the women's national team sure no? not the men's national team all right that'll do it for episode 306 of football americas herc and i will be back on monday plenty to discuss we'll have a uh, full preview of mls cup we'll know who's in that plus a uh, look back on the liga mekis playoffs and the u.s women's national team got a friendly over the weekend as well he's herc what you what you wearing there el paso it's got a 10 luna on the back look at you did Ugo give that to you with the trading card as well? <laughs> he did, he did. He actually signed it for me as well. Penta pichichi, a ver, a ver. How about that? <laughs>